Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Drink Podcast. I'm Joey and Gosa TV on this beautiful Wednesday morning or Wednesday, two o'clock. I have an appointment here soon, but I wanted to tell you about what I've been thinking about in terms of how you have to shift your mind in order to accomplish new things in 2023. This is something that I think about a lot because I think like most of you, you know, we, we realize that it's all about mindset. If you can change your mind and how you view things, then you can change everything. So as you know, I'm a, I'm a certified coach and I use a, t- a couple tools, one that I came up with myself through a lot of uh, reading and my own research and studying called the ACL experience. I'll tell you more about that. But the one that I often use with clients and people that I coach is called the Enneagram. And this is an amazing kind of typology, personality, spiritual personality tool. But so here's what happens with mindset. For example, I have a client that's a one. There are nine numbers. And so she is what what we call the reformist or the reformer or the perfectionist. So when she is, she's a teacher. So when she's teaching, she'll often tell me in our calls that she feels like she's not good enough, that her report cards, or not her report cards, but that her kids aren't meeting the marks that she wants for them to meet. Now, when she has an annual evaluation or when she gets her score back, her scores back, she's amazing. And so it's all in her head, but this is part of the problem. When we are in our personality, we may think that we need to be perfect in order for us to be acceptable or safe or secure. And so each type, we have nine types, we all struggle with a certain mindset. Now, that mindset is often triggered if, you're, if you've been to therapy or if you know what triggering means. Often that personality is triggered by events or circumstances. So let's say for the client, my client, let's say that she did speak to her principal and her principal said, oh, you know, you're only at 80% in terms of your scores. So even though for a normal person or a non-one, let's say for a two or a three, that may, that may tell them, okay, well, I'll just have to figure this out or I'll have to tweak this or tweak that. For the one, the perfectionist, the righteous type who, who believes that they're unrighteous, that there's something wrong with them and with the world, they will go into a tailspin. And so this, this is where changing your mindset is very important. And these triggering events is what often God life uses to get us out of personality. Now, what is the, the key for, let's say, this kind of personality type? What can they do? Well, when they're triggered by this circumstance, let's say the teacher or the principal said to them, you know, you're only at 80% in terms of your student scores. Well, instead of going into her personality, which is, I'm not perfect. My kids aren't perfect. I have to do more. There's something wrong. Instead is to use your other skills. In her case, it would be her heart and or her logic. Now, what would her heart tell her? Well, her heart probably would tell her that she really loves the kids and that she teaches because she loves to have fun with them and that she loves it when all her kids and her students and the parents give her notes at Christmas and gifts, reminding her what an amazing teacher she is. So that'll begin to help her like, oh yeah, I don't have to be perfect or it's not about being perfect. 
And then I also recommend for these types to use their logic. Now, what is logic in this case? What would the logic tell her, tell them? Well, it would tell them that, let's say they do some research and everyone in the whole district is at 78%. And she's at 80. Oh, wait a minute. I'm actually doing better than the standard or than it's typical or than is expected. And so the logic of that, or let's say some statistics or some numbers will help her calm that feeling down or of I'm imperfect There's something wrong I have to stay up late I have to uh, work harder etc and so these are these are the tools that often help people to not be in their personality to be to get through some of these mindset habits and, and bad bad habits that we get into so what I was thinking about is what often happens when we're in personality is that we lose perspective. So for the type three, which I am, maybe you're a three as well, we lose perspective when we're not successful or appearing successful to others at everything we do. So that's crazy, right? I mean, you can't succeed at everything. Or who's to say that you're not succeeding? And so for us threes, and there are a lot of us leaders, artistic types that are three, sevens, or eights, and we are, they call us the threes, the achievers or the doers or the performers. And so it's kind of like the thing of everything we touch turns to gold. Now, what happens is when we fail at something or when we think we're failing at something, we can lose perspective. So what is the growth mindset for us? Well, so that's being in your heart, right? So our hearts tell us we want to help people, but our hearts sometimes deceive us. Even the Bible says right, that our hearts can deceive us. So what we need to do is kind of like the like the first example, we have to move to our logic. So what does excuse me, logic say? Well, let's say that in my case, I made a beat, nobody liked it. Okay. So now I'm feeling like a failure. Well, a non-three, let's say this person who is a one, may look at me and say, but that beat was actually really good. They're using logic, right? So logic would say, hmm, Maybe the person that I showed it to, they don't like that style. Maybe I tend to do a lot of lo-fi, and maybe this person likes R&B. <clears throat> so maybe it was just a matter of, again, using my logic of showing this beat to somebody that likes lo-fi. Hmm, okay, maybe I'm not as big of a failure as I think. See how that's working? Or, and, or you can use your body or your instinct or your gut. Do something about it. So what would that look like? Well, let's say... I will just make a beat. Let's say I do. I, let's say I am working with a more R&B artist. Well, maybe I'll go and bust out some R&B chords, or maybe download some sample that has an R&B sample from a '70s record, and then you build a beat around that, and then you show it to that first person, and they're like, "Oh wow, I love this beat. You're amazing!" Boom. The three feels that they're now amazing, and so those are really simple kind of. Uh, hacks and mind hacks to get away from your personality, to work with your personality, to not be stuck in personality, as we often say, because trauma or yeah, PTSD or things that you've been through in the past will often keep us in personality, will destroy us, really. They will destroy our dreams. They will destroy all of our passions. They will destroy our our careers, relationships, because if we're not aware of our own personality and our own hangups, then we will blame other people, blame ourselves, live in shame, live in fear, live in anger. 
whatever you want to call it, right? There's just this constant battle that can happen and you never you never really achieve anything. Now, another thing that I was telling Rochelle, my wife, I think it was last night even, I was talking about this whole transition. Speaking of midlife, a lot of people go, go through this at, at quarter life, uh, midlife crisis or a quarter life crisis, meaning in their 20s or maybe later in their 40s or 50s. So what I was telling her that what I'm going through is really amazing because it's this complete shift from what I've done for 30 years to this other life of a content creator, music producer, but still as a pastor. It's just in a different format. But what I was telling her is that what's always kept me from becoming really who I am now is has been fear. And that fear has come from trauma. And the trauma started when I was about 12 years old. And so, and I want to give you a, kind of a little bit of my story to give you an example of how you might have gone through similar things when you were maybe a child or in your teens and how these traumas or PTSD is keeping you from becoming the true authentic you and how to overcome that and kind of what I've done to overcome that and what I'm doing every day. And so, for example, when I was... 9, 10, I went through a war. And then at 12, I was separated from my parents. And then when I lived here in the States with my grandma, I wasn't a U.S. citizen. I had to have all these permits and all these things that kept me in fear of being sent back home to a war. I literally just met someone the other night, the other day. Shout out to Vio Long Beach down the street here. Uh, some young men who are like my kid's age, kid's age. And their dads went to war. So, and one of the young men, shout out to Armando, my beautiful friend, he showed me a picture of his dad. And his dad is my age. Actually, he's a little younger than me. But he went through the same war that I went through. Except that instead of me, like me, I sang my way out of that war because of my ability in music. And amazing. It all comes back around, right? I was able to find a career here in the States, mostly doing worship in the church. But him, his his dad, went to war. And so he had a picture of his dad with a rifle, an AK-47. And I saw a ton of AK-47s, A-50s or M-50s, I mean, MK-47, AK-47, M-50s, all the rest. And so that was a trauma that some of my friends went through. The trauma I went through was being in fear, living in fear of being deported, sent back. My grandma also was had, had some health issues. So I grew up, like many people, with this fear of the, of the floor or the ground being, or the rug being swept out from under me. And so then you fast forward to when I then began to lead worship in the church and become a pastor in the church, I carry that fear that I couldn't be the authentic me because if I was truly me, then I would be, I would be, I would die. I would be sent back to this war torn country where I would live in fear of, for my life, etc. And so I began to, you could say, act out almost like a, a, like a, like a domestic violence relationship where everyone could tell you, like, leave. Why don't you leave that relationship? It's abusive. It's, it's killing. It's destroying you. But that woman, let's say, could be a man, but let's say that woman in this case will say to her friends or her parents, I can't leave. Not only am I afraid, but where am I going to go? 
Or if I leave, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to die on the streets. I'm going to be homeless. I have no money. I have nowhere to go. I have no job. And so that woman continues to be abused by man one, two, three, four, five, or by the same man for 20, 30 years. And that in some ways is what happened to me with the church. And it sounds crazy to say that, but I've thought about this a lot. And this is what trauma, I'm going somewhere with the whole trauma thing and, and kind of how to get out of these relationships and how to grow through PTSD and how to find yourself again and how God is so faithful and to, to always show us his grace. So for the next 30 years, I've known that I was supposed to do music. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's what I'm doing now, right? But sometimes, as I said, you go through 10, 20, 30 years maybe of living, living someone else's life, not living the true authentic you. And you know it. I, I've known it for years. Not that I wasn't supposed to be a pastor. I love, I'll always be a pastor. If anything, I'm all, I've always been called to be a pastor and a musician. But as far as what that looked like in real life, jobs, careers, who I, uh, who I was with, the people that I worked with and worked for, the things that I didn't do most of all that I am now doing, that's where the problems were. And so finally, as I began to realize these abusive relationships, and they had their benefits, right? I mean, to me, the church wasn't all bad. 30 years of giving my life to the uh, what I call the white evangelical church wasn't all bad. It gave me a lot of things, but at the same time, it was that abusive relationship. And I don't blame the church or anyone. I don't, I blame me really. I mean, because it was my trauma that kept me in this fear and I somehow didn't quite get it until later in life. So finally, later in life, I began to realize that I was just running away from my fear, afraid of how I grew up, afraid of being sent back, afraid of the war, afraid of being homeless, afraid of everything, instead of living in my own truth, standing in, on my own two feet, standing in, in the safety and the protection of God and the gifting that God had given me. I did that, but not always. I did that sometimes, but not always. So fast forward to like this year, 2022, and now 2023. Even though what I'm doing now is scary and it's sometimes it panics me, like, what am I doing? How is this going to work? Because I've, I'm basically, in many ways, left my previous life, left the thing that I have always done and it has paid me and has given me an identity, sense of identity. But I have realized through a lot of work, and this is now what I coach other people that are in similar situations, that the identity has always been there God has put in me and in you gifts that no one can take away. And the process of becoming alive again, of resurrection, you could say, is really an issue of coming back to the true you, to the authentic you, to the gifts that God has given you, but minus the fear, minus the anger, minus the shame. And that's the transformation power that I teach and that I've gone through. So now, yes, there is fear. But it's not a fear of not being the true me. It's just practical stuff, money and how is this going to work and all those logistical things, which are normal, right? This is, this is fine. It's, it's doable and it's fixable. But what is solid is being true to who we are as human beings, living out of that truth, out of that, what I was saying, Rochelle, out of my one. See, the one is, back to the righteousness, are people who live in integrity. Rochelle's also a one. And so when you have people 
like her that live in integrity. And that's, this is how, isn't this, isn't this amazing how God does this? We live, God brings us together with people that we need the most. So me as a deceiver, they say that this typography, typology, it's also found in Proverbs 6. It says that my deadly sin is deception or vanity or lying. And, and it's lying to myself, lying to others. It's, li it's not living in the authentic me. And not just part of who I am, but the fullness of who we are as human beings in our creativity and our gifts and our calling. But again, PTSD, trauma, childhood issues, blah, 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 all these things Satan life uses, you could say even God uses to shape us. And But the devil uses all these things to destroy your calling and your gifting. But back to uh, relationships, so God put me next to a one. <laughs> how beautiful the liar next to the truth teller now that could i don't know how that could go wrong actually i guess it could but it has in 30 years married to this amazing beautiful gorgeous woman of my dreams i i mean what i post what you see online is authentically how i feel about her i love this woman she loves me she's my i saw this picture of messi coming home and his wife, I mean, who, yeah, she's a little 23-year-old who looks cute and all. She jumped on him and everybody's like, oh, they're having a baby, you know. And and everyone's like, oh, man, if I could just be loved like the way that she loves Messi. That's how I feel about my beautiful wife. I married this gorgeous woman when she was 21 <laughs> and I was 23. We were these young, beautiful kids and we're still young and beautiful. My point is that how amazing how God brings you together with the right person at the right time and so the righteousness of god which is her the one next to the deceiver right all these gifts but you know we as heart types and artistic types we can be fake and make it to you make it kind of thing right god brought us together and so every time that i see her i think man i need to make decisions based on the real me what is my real me well, but fear and trauma and PTSD and, and what if this, and what if that and how you grew up and all these things, right? All, the, all these lies, they can take over. So you begin to minimize yourself. You begin to not be the true fullness of God, the, full, the, the complete righteousness of Christ. Instead, you're this small righteousness, this small fullness or the small you, the small, you're living small. And so when I begin to hang out with my beautiful wife and when we talk, she's always reminding me of the fullness of me, of who I really am. And so the integrity, right? And so as I am now living this second half of my life, and if you're younger, maybe you're in your 20s, you're now going into this second quarter of your life. The key is to live in your integrity, is to be honest and to know that in your integrity, there is happiness. That happiness is living in your integrity. In your, and I love the word integrity because often we think that as being honest or as being maybe, um, I don't know, pure or holy, like telling the truth. And even though that's part of it, integrity really means with integrating parts together like a puzzle. It's really about bringing all of who you are into one. It's wholeness. It's integrating, not so much just integrity as in telling the truth and being an honest man, honest woman. That's a, that's a big part of it, but that's more the externals. The internal is you being whole. 
It's what the gospel does. It's what Jesus does. It's what love does. It's what all these tools that I teach, they help you and me become whole, become the authentic you. You know, like they say there's, I think it's called uh, in Spanish, arroz integral, right? Like a whole, whole rice, right? Like a healthy rice, like jasmine rice or brown rice. They call them integral. It's, it's, I don't know what the, I think it's just called whole, right? Like whole foods and all this stuff, healthy, right? Healthy stuff. The point is that, that when you're healthy, then you can live authentically. You can show up to your life authentically without lying, without fear, without deception. And so when I talk to Rochelle and when we begin to go over this new, this new season in my life, I feel so safe, not because I have money or a bunch of famous records or whatever, a fancy car, although all that will come in due time, right, in Jesus' name, but because I'm living in my truth that has come from understanding my lying and, and why I have lived in this lie, and then to realize how to overcome that, how to move away from that, and to begin to trust God. The person that the uh, the person living in fear, I think it's impossible to trust God when you're living in fear. I mean, the Bible says it's impossible without faith; it's impossible to to please God or to see God. Well, I think it's the same thing. Without with fear, it's impossible to trust God. You can't trust God if you're filled with fear. Obviously, right? It's it's an antithesis. They're they're opposite. Either you fear or you trust. You can't do both. And so when you're living in fear because of trauma, because of childhood things, because of problems at home, because things, that even if you're ignoring them, even if you think, oh, no, I'm good. I go to church. I believe in Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. But the body, I read a book amazing called The Body Keeps a Score. Your spirit may be strong, but your flesh is weak. That's biblical. And so your body still reacts in panic and fear and, and anger and frustration and laziness. In my case, in fear and shame for some people in anger and overreacting and overthinking, you name it, right? There are nine deadly sins, envy and all these things. So when, when your body is being triggered by circumstances in life, this is where you have to do the work and you have to then move away from, step away from the car. You have to move away from those circumstances and and go back to your living in your truth and so living in my truth now it is scary but it is so freeing because i'm not like the song says i'm no longer a slave to fear and i'm telling you one of the things that i long for is to teach on these things to the church to Christian, I mean, to young Christian people, to people my age, to older people, but certainly to younger people, because I love worship, I love preaching, I love the church, I love serving ministry, all the rest. But this is more fine-tuning your thinking. This is stuff that happens one-on-one. This is stuff that happens when you're actually sitting with someone that has been through this and can fine-tune all that you know about God and faith and all the things that you know about yourself. And this is not counseling either. This is not like, okay, let's talk about your family of origin and childhood trauma. That is very important. I've spent thousand, maybe maybe fifty thousand dollars in in counseling, medication, yoga, all the rest, all that has helped. And as well as as well as biblical deliverance, spiritual healing, all of that. It's Jesus all the way. But what I'm 
discovering is that this is a fine-tuning we know all these things but we need and I'm not and I'm not saying that what I teach is somehow like oh some brand new thing that came from heaven no no, no. these are just tools that are biblical tools that have helped me to understand how to move away from the vehicle how to step away from personality how not to live in that constant fear and most of all how to be a person that's integral that's living in my integrity not lying not envious there are nine as i said nine deadly sins not not challenging the system not being a perfectionist not being a, a prideful person not being a narcissist not being a person filled with vanity there are these nine things but instead living in joy living in the spirit being a man a woman of god who then is going to impact the world for jesus and that's kind of what i'm well, not, not kind of. That's what I'm doing. And I've, I've always done that. But with this domestic violence, this, I don't know if I can say that here, this DV hang up or burden over me, not not a real uh, violent relationship. But, you know, what I, what I said at the beginning, this relationship with, let's say, with work, just to put it outside of the church, that was killing me because I wasn't being honest with myself. What I really wanted to do is what I'm doing now music for jesus which is what i've always done see how it it isn't that complicated really this whole journey is just coming back to the heart of god to who you truly are minus the trauma so the tool that i teach that i came up with about 10 years ago it's called the acl experience it's a tool that i came up with based on all this research based on my own experience based on biblical principles based on a ton of studying and and all this that basically talks about acl I actually tore up my ACL when I came up with this years ago and I recovered and now I'm back. Well, this has been years ago, but I remember after I tore my ACL, I was afraid I couldn't play basketball again or dunk a basketball. Yes, I could dunk a basketball. And after I recovered and, and did all the work, I dunked the basketball again and I was even stronger than ever. And so through that experience and a lot of all the, all the other stuff, I came up with this thing called the ACL experience, adventure, crisis and love adventure crisis and love what's your adventure for me my adventure has always been first and foremost to be loved by my father to come back to i lost my father to come back to the heart of my father my adventure to this day all that i want to do in my life in life is to be like my dad i just want to be loved by him i just want him to say i love you son and he's now in heaven so he'll never be able to say that anymore but i had him for many years and so my adventure is to to be like him to other people to first and foremost to my wife that she would feel like i am proud of her like god the father was proud of jesus when he was baptized by john the baptist in the jordan river that voice i want to be that voice to young people to my own kids of course and that's what i've done my, my wife and i have done for 24 years now is be that voice but my adventure is really to to love my crisis is what I've mentioned. It's overcoming that crisis, is being aware of that crisis, being conscious of that crisis, and not ignoring it, not knowing that it's there, not knowing what to do, not giving into it or par being paralyzed by it, but actually fine-tuning all the stuff that you've learned, all the tools. Maybe you've been to counseling or you've had great mentors or you had a wonderful pastor, you have a great church, all those things that I've had. But it's fine-tuning, finding grace, especially in the middle of your crisis. And the, re and the way that you find grace 
is through these tools is what do I do when I'm triggered by that principle that tells me that I'm only at 80% and I feel like I'm a failure or when someone doesn't like my beat and I think I'm the worst producer ever or when let's say if you're a younger person when you had a breakup and you you thought this guy was the one and now here you are now you're in your late 20s and now what God am I ever going to get that man and you're living in that fear, how to find grace in the middle of the crisis, and then love, discovering what you love. Because the way I like to describe it is A plus C equals L. Once you reconnect with your adventure, that God-given adventure, let's say for me, is to be like my dad. My dad sang, he recorded. I tell people when they come into the studio, I always show them a picture of my dad recording. I said, it's not amazing, I'm just doing what my dad did, recording, because he has. I have a record of him with headphones on and microphones and guitars. And I often think, isn't that crazy? I'm doing exactly what my dad did. So when you discover your adventure that never, you never run out of purpose. There's no suicide in my life. And I have had moments, especially during that pandemic, where I thought, man, I it's pretty dark. But when I reconnect with my adventure, with it's more than your purpose. It's really what's in you. It's it's just the the air that you breathe. I mean my father, I mean, I could cry right now just thinking of my dad, thinking of who he was to me. And it may not be your dad. It may be your mom. It may be your child. It may be your music. But you have to go deeper than even your music or ministry or God or going overseas. You have to get in touch with, with something that's, that's emotional. Emotional baggage. <laughs> you have to get in touch with what's emotional, what makes you cry at night out of sadness or loneliness or, or joy or peace or gozo. Whatever makes you, for me, it's my father. There's nothing, my father, my grandma. I mean, of course, and my wife, my kids, I mean, all these beautiful things. But as far as the core, A plus C, now my father, but what's the crisis? A plus C, that's what I said. I could have gone to war, but instead, God, guess who taught me how to sing and play? (laughs) See, that's why it's so emotional for me. My father taught me how to sing and play. So because of his love in my life, he basically rescued my life. He was my Jesus. He was my Christ. I'm not saying like spiritually, but you know, like he gave his life, he could say for me. First, he taught me how to sing, how to play. And because of his investing into me and the gift that God had given me, I was able to come to this country and make a life for myself and buy a house, marry the woman of my dreams and have this beautiful life that I live 30 years, 40 years later. How did this happen? God, the adventure plus crisis, this crazy war, this crazy fear that I had of, of all these things. And yet the grace, remember, it's the grace. It really is, should be A plus CG. It's like the G. It's not just the C. The G it's the grace of God in the crisis. There's a grace that God that God shows you in the crisis. And the grace for me was my music or my teachers in high school or my doctors and, and medication and mentors and therapists and a million people that helped me. Equals love. What, is that, what does that mean, equals love? It means a life of love. It means a life in the spirit. It means that I can love freely. It means that I'm not afraid to love because I may not get something out of it. Or, well, what are you doing for me, Rochelle? Or, well, kids, are you being perfect kids? Or, well, church, are you making me successful? As a three, we're so success-driven. And I used to love 
and I still struggle with this, to get, to, to receive something. What does the Bible say? It's better to give than to receive. So when you realign yourself with that adventure, plus you find grace in your crisis through fine-tuning, it equals a powerful love, a love that makes you powerful in the world, that, that you realize that nothing, like the Bible says, Romans say, nothing can separate you from the love of God. But this is not just the love of God. This is the love of God through you and out to, through you into the world. And so what I'm doing now with music, with media, with podcasting, with coaching and whatever else, yes, there's still fear. Of course, there's still like, oh man, how am I going to do this? I'm going to do that. What if, what if, what if? But my integrity is so much stronger. I'm not the deceiver, deceiving myself, deceiving others. I am living more whole out of my integrity, out of the truth of me, because I have realign myself with my adventure that God's given me. I continue to, this is a lifelong process, continue to find grace in the crises that come. And I'm understanding, oh, that's why I react. That's why I over want. That's why I struggle with these sins, right? I overindulge or I pursue the wrong thing or I live in fear. Oh, that's why. Of course, the gospel always, but also understanding these these nuances of of our of our mind and of our bodies and our reactions and our lusts and our wants and our desires i don't mean just sexual of course it includes that as well but just i just mean these reactions that we have as men or women to the things that destroy us as well as to things that are amazing and as we process these two things a plus c it equals this amazing magnificent this beautiful love this extravagant love like that song says your love is extravagant. And I feel like I am just beginning. And many of us are just beginning. We're just putting our, like our toe in the water, tipping a, dipping our toe in the water of this love that is to come. This love that you want to give the world, give to the world through your music, through, in my case, for these things that I do to your wife. If you're not married, I mean, there's no, no be- more beautiful and see, loving your wife, like people, not that people ask me, but if someone was to ask me, how have you done this, right? How have you maintained and thrived in a marriage? It isn't love alone. It is a really an inner journey that you have to go through to be able to almost like mine the love that is already there. I think sometimes as men, we might think that it's about gifts or about helping or it's about you know the five love languages about time spent or about touch or whatever our wives need and all those tools are very important but it really is about you gripping the treasure that is inside of you called love is you embracing more and more of the love that is in you the reason why we sometimes use these external tools or mess up is because we're lacking that treasure. We lose sight of that treasure. Like Luke 15, right? We lost that pearl, that sun that left, that pearl that got lost, that treasure that got lost. And so when we, or that sheep that got away. So when we lose ourselves, when we lose that connection with the love that is in us, because of trauma and pain and not being loved by our parents or life or, or something that happened to you or abuse or whatever it may be, because of these traumatic experiences, we lose touch with the love that is in us, that is endless because it's a river that comes from God, right? 
that river of life that Revelation 21 talks about in Psalm 5 and the, you know, the deep, deep calls out to deep. So when we run out of love or when we can't access that love that is in us, that comes from above, then we begin to think, well, if I do this or then we jet out or well, this drug, that woman, this job, this career, this lifting weights or for women, th this other man or this career or this adventure or traveling or shopping or working out or nails or hair, whatever, right? Or kids or family. So all these external things, going to Disneyland and going on vacations, buying new clothes, losing weight, all these external things that we as humans think will get us in touch with the actual treasure that is already in us. Not only is it Jesus, of course it's Jesus, but it's love. For me, when I can love out here, it's when I am able to love, in my case, the relationship that I have with my father. When I can connect to the, the reservoir that is in me is access through my father. Every one of us has a way to access that love. And it's often pain. That's why as I said it's A plus C. It's, it's covered or hidden by sin, by death, by, in my case, being separated from my dad when I was 10, 11. Imagine being a young man, and this is typical for so many of us, right? Latino boys and all of us who grown, grown up in the, wherever, right? Urban centers, just, this is just a story of so many young men and women. Imagine being a young man, 10, 11, 12, without my father. So that treasure that is in me, that was, that is love, that reservoir, like Signal Hill, you know, I, I live here near Signal Hill, and there are these oil, I guess, reservoirs, right? And so you have to go dig. That that reservoir that is in all of us, it is access through pain. You have to address and you have to move through the pain, through the rocks and all the thistles and thorns. and So you can access, in my case, my father. Every time that I think of my dad, all the fear is gone. I cry, I fall apart. I, I thank God for being at Rigueros and that I look like him, that he gave me life and from my mom and that I'm from Nicaragua and all this beauty, like Ratatouille, you remember? If you're old enough, when he eats that food, whatever it was, and maybe it was Ratatouille, right? And he then suddenly remembers when he was five and he fell off the bike and his mom picked him up and put some Band-Aid on his, on his knee and then brought him home and fed him Ratatouille. That, that's pasta. And he's like, oh, that's why I am who I am. That's the adventure. That's the reservoir that is inside of every human being. But it's covered with so much junk. Trauma, pain, life, PTSD, violence, all these things. But if you can find the grace in those things, then it equals love. And so when I play or sing or dance or lead worship or produce or teach or preach or teach at Veti or whatever, when I'm here at home with my wife and kids, when I'm not aware or, or, or holding on to that treasure, I act out in fear and anger and over-sexualizing, under-sexualizing myself and over-hyping and under-hyping and lying, not lying in all the vices eating, not eating, sleeping, overworking, underworking, you name it, right? All the vices. 
maybe for some drugs, alcohol, whatever, illicit behavior, crime, whatever, right? All the same. All the sins uh, that this, all the, 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 the sins of the flesh, right? The life of the flesh. But when I access, I know it sounds kind of funny, but when I access my father, and, and, and I want to make it that simple because it's not just God or church or faith or ministry or Jesus or the gospel of the cross. All those things is, is that what heals me. But when I touch and access that love and that loss of my father, and yet that loss doesn't destroy me, but I find grace in that crisis. When I get a hold of that, it explodes out in love. I don't care about anything. I don't care what people say about my beats or my my whatever it is. Or let's say for the client that I teach, it doesn't she doesn't care what her principal may say or what her mom would say. Or I have another uh, client that I she's about twenty eight and you know she deals with health issues and with um, fear of not being in the right career. But when she's in tune with her adventure, none of that matters. She's, she's powerful. She's filled with power. And I think that sometimes the, the danger that I find in the church is with all the wonderful things that are happening is that sometimes we are told that we don't need to think. That we don't need to go back. And I agree with most of that. There's no need to go back. So I'm not, I'm not into like living in the past. But I'm not into posting just future stuff either like positive affirmations meaning yes those are important i'm not don't get me wrong verses and worship yes but remember it's a plus c equals l sometimes what's called spiritual bypassing we want to go from the adventure to love without going through the crisis because the crisis is way too painful why in the heck does anybody want to go through that or you feel like what's the point i've i've been there done that i can't fix it i can't fix my father being gone Neither can I, right? None of us can fix the actual pain. I lost my father. I can't fix that. I grew up without him since I was 12. I can't fix that. What I can is find grace in that crisis and not let that memory destroy me. Not let that experience kill me because that's what it does. That's true death. That's true hell on earth is allowing that 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 crisis to destroy your future, to destroy who you are, and then to make you disintegrate. See how that powerful word integration? What's the opposite? A dissent, disintegration. Because when you don't, and I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's just dealing with that crisis. When you don't know how to redeem it, how to find grace, that's why I like to call it finding grace in that crisis. When you don't know how to find grace in that crisis, it'll destroy you. You will disintegrate. You will become a thousand people to a thousand things. Things I've done. Things that many people, I have this other client that I coach and she tells me the same thing. She's like, for the last 10 years, she also lost her father. I've just become this. I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm just throwing spaghetti at the wall because of the disintegration. So my work with her has been powerful the last three, six months is to bring her back to her adventure, finding grace for crisis and, and understanding what is it that she really loves. And it's, it's, a, it's a, like I said, it's a integrating back again to who she really is and it was meant to be. 
And that's what happens with all of us. We all are just going back home to Eden. Really, all of this is just a beautiful process of just going back to the true true us. It's just going back to who we've always been. You know, when I make music or when I'm playing the guitar, I was listening to, uh, oh yeah, some Spanish worship the other day. I forget. Generación 12. Maybe you've seen it on Instagram. And these young people just playing Spanish worship, I think. Because I grew up with Spanish worship, I think. Man, it's not that difficult. We're just going back to heaven back to Eden back to the original intent the way we all grew up in my case with a guitar and my father singing next to me I would sing next to my father since I've been singing next to him since I was like six years old guess what I'm doing right now I play worship with my son I have young people here in my studio that I am singing with I am just going back to the beginning, back to Eden. But remember, not just jumping from A to Z. You have to go through Gethsemane. You have to go through death and the cross. You have to endure the cross. And some people, they don't know how. They've never been able to. Some people just go right through it. It's not a big deal. I better go. I have a meeting at three. I hope that helps. If any of this is helpful, I am a coach. I am a pastor. I'm a friend. I love you. I'm here to help you, support you. This is what I do, guys. This is what I've been storing in my life and practicing for 20, 30 years as a pastor, but more. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I am a a coach. But more than that, God has given me these skills to help people. Christian leaders, artists, gifted young men and women who are at that quarter-life crisis or midlife, meaning in their 20s or maybe late 40s. And they, they've, they're trying everything and they have success, but they keep bumping up against the same things. I would love to help you. And um, this is how I make my living. So I have to find a way to make ends meet. So if you can give me an offering or whatever it is, I do have prices and all this stuff. But end of the day i just want to be of help because this is a gift that god's given me i don't mean just the tools and the understanding but really just a gift of life that i want to share with others so thank you i gotta go